Hello and welcome to Healthline 3, I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Amanda Bunton with Women's Health Clinic and willis Knighton Health System. We're going to be talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome, or PTOS, and we'll be taking your calls throughout the show. As a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned all the way down before making your call. And as always, that number is 318-219-4569, and you'll see it across the bottom of your screen throughout the show. And now, Dr. Bunton. Thank Hello. you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's start with talking about PCOS. What does that stand for again and what does it mean? Okay, polycystic ovarian syndrome is what it stands for. And PCOS is a syndrome, we don't really know a whole lot about the cause, but it's a syndrome that we know is associated with menstrual irregularities. So either irregular cycles or just completely not having cycles, um, also associated with like excess androgens or testosterone, so that can lead to acne, excess hair growth where you don't want it. I'm talking about like on the lips, like a mustache, chin hair, beards, even upper chest, upper arms, upper thighs, happy trails, back hair, like male pattern hair growth. Um, on top of that, it can cause alopecia, um, also known as like hair loss, um, male pattern like balding um, in the frontal region, the temporal areas on the side. It can lead to um, hydroadenitis superivativa, which is a skin condition where you get these tiny little abscesses or boils, usually occurring like in the armpit area, groin area, rectal area. Um, but they, I mean, they can occur anywhere. anywhere. But so PCOS is basically, we think probably the underlying cause is the excess androgens that are produced. And why these androgens are produced is really the big question. Mm -hmm. We have a little bit of knowledge as to why. We know it's basically coming from the ovary. We are unsure if the ovary itself is producing the androgens or we're getting signals from the brain because all these hormones feed down from the brain and the hypothalamus. They feed down and talk to the pituitary and then the hormones from the pituitary come down and talk to the ovary. So we do know that there are increased pulses of a hormone called GNRH, which stands for gonadotropin-releasing hormone. That is a hormone secreted from the hypothalamus in the brain, and it feeds down to the pituitary also in the brain and tells it to secrete luteinizing hormone and follicular stimulating hormone. The way the GNRH pulses or becomes active in people with PCOS leads to just shorter pulses more frequently. And that makes your pituitary send out more luteinizing hormone in comparison to follicular stimulating hormone. Why does that? We don't know. But luteinizing hormone feeds down to the ovaries and tells your ovaries to produce androgens or testosterones. Now it's normal for a woman to produce testosterone because these testosterones are converted to estrogens down the line. But in PCOS, these testosterone secreting cells in the ovary are kind of malfunction. And so we never kind of get down to the estrogen production. So we see increased luteinizing hormone leading to increased androgen production in the ovaries. And then another thing that we see that leads to increased androgen production is insulin resistance in PCOS patients. Oh. So 
people who are resistant to insulin usually think diabetes with this in order to compensate for the resistance to insulin like their insulin like their body just does not respond to insulin like it should in order to compensate for the resistance their body produces more insulin and what more insulin does on the ovaries lead to more androgen production and it also on top of that decreases the production of another <laughs> something called yeah. sex hormone binding globulin okay which would normally bind up a lot of the free testosterone and kind of keep it from wreaking havoc and causing a mustache in a woman but it causes decreased levels of that so decreased sex hormone binding globulin leads to more free testosterone roaming around and so you kind of get excess androgen perpetuated in two different pathways so, I was like, there's <laughs> no, more to it than yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. So, an androgen, is that, is testosterone an androgen? Are there other androgens? What is an androgen? Yes, an androgen basically is a sex hormone, okay. um, and it usually causes, like, male characteristics. So, testosterone is one, androstenone, I'm not sure if I'm even pronouncing that right. It's a big word for me. Well, I certainly like can't <laughs> tell you. Um, I'm, it sounds good to me. Um, those are the main two that I think maybe most doctors are aware of but there are others but oh. usually you say androgens you kind of compare it to testosterone yeah. and then most people will understand I was like too much testosterone is bad in a woman right and women have testosterone in their body right yes. So it's not something brand new oh, no no, no. I have the ovary normally now. produces it also producing the adrenal glands huh. but um, you, I mean you do have you do need a normal level of testosterone in women but most of the testosterone production gets converted into estrogens down the road Okay, so the elevated testosterone levels are harmful because they lead to malfunction of the ovary and the follicles that it produces. So in a normal menstrual cycle, the first half of the cycle, we are growing these little follicles on the ovary and one of those follicles usually becomes the dominant follicle and then the other ones regress. And that dominant follicle is the follicle that you ovulate from, hmm. okay? Yeah. With PCOS, those high androgen levels keep those tiny little follicles from developing further. So we never get a dominant follicle developed and then we don't ovulate. And so when we don't ovulate, one, it's harder to get pregnant but two, we don't have regular cycles, which is why we see a lot of um, irregular menstrual cycles or just like complete absence of menstrual cycles in p women with PCOS. So the polycystic ovarian syndrome comes from the fact that the ovaries look polycystic because they always have these tiny little follicles that are stuck in this like immature phase mm. and we don't ever see a, like, a dominant follicle that you ovulate from. So ultrasounds of people with PCOS usually shows just a bunch of tiny little follicles all on their ovaries. Um, on the diagnostic criteria, you need about 12 follicles between one or two of the ovaries to diagnose it, or like a certain volume of um, ovarian tissue. But PCOS ovaries are large and they have a lot of small follicles. Hmm. Not big cysts that you really need to worry about like rupturing. People always say, oh, I've got PCOS because like I've had ovarian cysts or, and, you know, I, I'm prone to them and they rupture every month. Not, like the same thing. not the same thing. Mm, These are know. tiny, tiny little follicles, less than a centimeter in size. 
And so can you catch that by accident then? You might be looking for something else, all of a sudden you, if you're a doctor who yes. really recognizes and, and that's PCOS. a good point because yeah. a lot of women may undergo an ultrasound for whatever reason and have polycystic appearing ovaries. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have PCOS because sometimes you can just have ovaries that appear PCOS but not have the entire syndrome. Uh -huh. So in order to really diagnose PCOS, you have to meet two out of three criteria. Okay. And these are called the Rotterdam criteria. One is irregular menstrual cycles. The second is evidence of excess testosterone, either phenotypically like the hair growth, the acne, the hair loss, all the stuff that we discussed earlier, or evidence of excess testosterone via lab work. Oh. And then the third criteria is polycystic ovarian syndrome. So if you can fulfill two out of the three, we can diagnose you with PCOS. Okay, very interesting. And so can you have both? Can you have the male pattern balding and the hair yes. growing also? Yes. So it's not either or, no. or hair falling out and growth. Exactly. Um, people with very like severe elevations and androgens um, even can get a condition where they become virilized and you'll end up with a deepening voice, muscular growth. You know, men take testosterone to build muscles. It was like a muscular build, even like clitoromegaly looks like a little micro penis. Uh -huh. um, those are not seen in PCOS. So if we have androgen levels to that extreme that it's causing those types of symptoms, we're going to be looking at other sources like testosterone uh, producing tumors. Okay. All right. We have a caller for you. Okay. Hi, Jill. Thanks for calling. What's your question? This has been so interesting and helpful. My daughter has Down syndrome. She's 32. And I feel she has PCOS. But they told me she would not be eligible to be seen for that because she has Down syndrome. Is that true? No. Does she have a gynecologist? Has she ever seen one? Oh, yes. Many times. Okay, because I was like, you don't necessarily, just because you have Down syndrome does not necessarily mean you can't be evaluated for it. Um, like I said, I was like, it's just a matter of fulfilling the criteria. And, you know, obesity um, and yeah. insulin resistance, right. like all those things right. kind of put you at higher risk for PCOS because of the elevated testosterone. So even if she doesn't meet full on criteria for PCOS, it may be that she's producing more androgens from, you know, insulin resistance, weight, sedentary lifestyle. Um, and that is keeping her from ovulating on a regular basis. Okay. Um, very helpful. Thank you very much. I'll check with her gynecologist again. They just negated it because of her extra chromosome. But thank you so much. You've been very helpful. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for calling. Yeah, thank you so much for calling. That is an interesting thing to think about too, that sometimes something may interfere, you may have one condition, you may have something that maybe doctors think, well, that's probably not it. Yeah. So just what do you suggest? I see a lot, I was like, I see a lot of women who come in, they am like, I've had regular cycles all my life and now all of a sudden they are irregular. And then you go and you're, you're talking and you're like, 
figure out, oh, we've gained a lot of weight in you know, a short amount of time. Sometimes just losing five to 10% of your body weight can get you ovulating mm -hmm. again. But people with diabetes or insulin resistance, I was like, there are reasons that sometimes you just aren't ovulating and having a period every month. That's not interesting too, because you hear a lot of people who try, try, try to get pregnant, and then yes. for some reason she loses a lot of weight, and all of a sudden she's pregnant again. Yes, Is yes. that why? Sometimes yeah, so that's actually one out. of the treatments. Honestly, I was like, probably number one treatment is we push lifestyle modification, mm -hmm. healthier diet, exercise, but losing five to ten percent of your weight loss may get you ovulating again. And like I said, it's like you can't get pregnant if you're not ovulating. So that's True. reason number one. Okay. And we have Nancy on the line. Hi, Nancy. What's your question? Good morning. I've <coughs> I had, <coughs> excuse me, a full hysterectomy in 1980. <coughs> and I've not had a hormone since. What does a lady do? <laughs> So you don't necessarily need hormones after a hysterectomy, especially if you're not having symptoms. Um, normally, with your ovaries being taken out in your full hysterectomy, they're no longer producing hormones for you, so you're not making estrogen, testosterone, progesterone anymore. Most women feel the effects of their ovaries being taken out. They'll go through menopause, but basically overnight with their surgery, and they'll start to have hot flashes, uh, irritability, mood swings, difficulty concentrating, but hot flash is probably number one thing that bring women into the office. If you're lucky enough to never experience any of those things, then good, I was like, you can function without it. You don't necessarily need hormone replacement. A lot of women are just very miserable after hysterectomies and their ovarian production of these hormones are gone that we need to supplement them to kind of make their lives better. Well, um, I'm 67 and uh, on insulin, and it's making me put weight on. <coughs> and some of that is <sighs> insulin, <laughs> diabetes, um, older, like slower metabolism as you age, but not necessarily PCOS. Like you don't have ovaries anymore. I see. Okay. Well, you ladies have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> I thank you. This has been very insightful for me. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, Merry Christmas to you too. So what about adolescents? Is it challenging to diagnose this in adolescents? And do they get this? A little bit more challenging in adolescents, mm. and I'll tell you why. I was like, criteria stays the same, but in adolescents, your menstrual cycles are more likely to be irregular. So I talked earlier about the hypothalamus, pituitary, and ovary, and how they all talk to each other. Mm -hmm. We call that the HPO axis, hypothalamus, pituitary, ovary. The HPO axis is very immature when you start having menstrual cycles. And the communication between those three organs are not, not too great. So you may not have a period every month because there's just not a great telephone pathway between all three of those. So irregular cycles are very common in adolescents, making it harder to kind of meet diagnostic criteria. The other thing, like acne is very common in adolescents. So we don't know if it's you know due to that or if we're really making excess androgens. And then if you ultrasounded a lot of um, adolescents, their ovaries just look more yeah. polycystic, even though they may not be. Right, and acne is something you definitely want to take care of for an adolescent. <laughs> yes, 100%. And, yeah, well, and I want to find out more about this. We have a caller. Keisha, what is your question? Hello. Hi. Hi. 
So my question is infertility. Okay. Um, my doctor recently put me on Letrozole. Yes. Um, for, you know, infertility. And it resolved in um, a chemical miscarriage within the 90-day span. So, so he upped it to four a day, but it seems like it's not working. Do you have any information about that? So you're with under the care of a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist, then I'm assuming? Yes. Okay. So some one of the treatments for the ovulatory dysfunction with PCOS is ovulation induction medications and Clomid is one of them but the letrozole that you're on is another. Um, the letrozole works by basically inhibiting estrogen production in the ovary and then the low estrogen levels kind of feed back to the brain and tell your brain hey we're not making enough estrogen like turn on like we've got to make more estrogen and it helps stimulate like the follicle production in your ovaries and kind of gets you to ovulate in that method. If you have failed medications like Clomid and Letrozole, you may need stronger medications. And I'm talking about like maybe trigger point injections. They'll give you shots of these hormones and shots to kind of get you to ovulate. But that's something that n most OBGYNs, like just generalists don't do, and you have to see an infertility specialist. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. So that is another interesting thing to think about too. Yes, yeah. so I was like, there, there's a lot of ways to kind of go about treating PCOS just depending on your end goal. Mm -hmm. Because for people who want to get pregnant, we can put them on ovulation induction medications and help them to ovulate. Um, metformin is another medicine that a lot of people use for um, treatment of PCOS. And it's a good medicine, it's like diabetic medication. Yeah. It helps kind of fight the insulin resistance and helps bring down like androgen levels that way. But 50% uh, of women who take metformin start ovulating on their own. Um, so metformin, Clomid, Letrozole. So if you want to get pregnant, I was like, we usually place people on those. Mm -hmm. Letrozole, Clomid being a lot more effective than metformin. I was like, I really tend to use metformin in people who need to lose weight or I know are already like pre-diabetic. Um, if you are just looking to regulate your periods, because irregular periods are a bother and nobody wants to be surprised as to when they're going to start bleeding, um, birth control pills or progesterone only. Uh, some women who have uncontrolled hypertension or history of blood clots, they can't have the estrogen that's in a regular birth control pill. We can treat those women with progesterone only methods like an IUD, the Depo shot, Nexplanon implant in the arm, or even progesterone-only pills. So we can regulate periods that way. And then some women come in because they want their acne treated or the excess hair growth. And for that, birth control pills help a lot too. So birth control pills help um, increase the amount of sex hormone binding globulin, which kind of eats up that free mm -hmm. testosterone, so you've got less circulating around. Mm -hmm. um, and that helps treat acne. And there's also some anti-testosterone medications, spironolactone, which is a diuretic medicine, but it's got some anti-testosterone properties. We add that a lot to people who just aren't controlled on birth control pills alone to help fight acne. So does that go after the testosterone and then because yeah. it's a diuretic, then it just eliminates it? It's um, it basically 
competes with testosterone at the testosterone oh. receptor. So it binds the testosterone receptor so that the testosterone can't bind there and cause like the downstream okay, effects that, that testosterone sense. usually does. Um, but then, you know, other areas, as like my clinic, for instance, has like a laser hair removal. So we can treat PCOS patients that, you know, want facial hair removed, waxing, shaving, all that, electrolysis, all that other stuff. So and is that just the treatment goal. from then on, or can you can re reverse it or treat it or stop PCOS? Or no, once it, you start you that hair development, just then it's just Yeah, removal. I was like, you basically have to just continue yeah. to treat it. There's nothing... Sometimes, like I said, weight loss may help decrease mm -hmm. the amount of androgen production and yeah. may help some, but probably not going to get rid of it all completely. Well, talking about adolescents again, let's go back and talk about that a little bit. So how does that affect fertility going forward if an adolescent has yeah, this so when diagnosed? When I diagnose them, my, okay, we can control this with birth control. We'll make your cycles regular. Okay, When it comes time to you wanting to start building a family, you're going to have a little bit of difficulty. So we'll get you off the birth control for one, okay? Um, I like to see if um, they have cycles on their own, because some people will come off birth control and then be having regular cycles and ovulating on their own, that's good. But if they continue to have um, irregular cycles, that usually means that they're not ovulating and need some assistance with ovulation. Every once in a while, a PCOS patient may ovulate spontaneously on their own and get pregnant without medication but it's not going to be like an every month type of ovulation. Right. So when someone is ready to kind of take that step and become pregnant, we usually talk about stimulating a period with progesterone and that will cause you to kind of have like a withdrawal bleed, get you to have a period, and then these medicines, these Clomid and Electrozole that we use for ovulation induction usually are given on days three through seven of your menstrual cycle. So the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh day after you start bleeding, or days five through nine, just mm -hmm. depending on your doctor's preference. Right, and everybody's different, you yeah. just never know. But to tell them the possibility, you're probably gonna yeah, need probably. some help. But luckily, I was like, ovulation dysfunction as a cause of infertility is one of the easiest fixes of like oh, all cause of infertility. So I was like, yeah, I was like, it, it usually is an easy fix. Yeah, it's so interesting to me that insulin resistance is tied to this. So yes. prevalent, it keeps coming up. Is that is that a normal thing with women's conditions too, or just this because of the pituitary gland and everything? Yeah, this because insulin kind of leads into yeah. excess androgen production in the ovary, so it kind of feeds into that. But PCOS, I, again, I was like, I tell a lot of patients once they're diagnosed with it, that it's associated with a lot of disorders that are kind of unwanted. One, diabetes, but also metabolic syndrome, which is comprised of obesity, hypertension, high cholesterol, also associated with fatty liver disease and mm. sleep apnea, anxiety, depression, binge eating disorder, so a bunch of different associations. Oh, and which is um, too bad, but also good to know that it might be related to this, so yeah. there's an answer to yes, it. Yes, so. yes, and also things to look out for, too, because yeah. I was like preventative measures mm -hmm. and, you know, watching weight and your salt intake yeah. and, and exercising regularly. Maybe you can end up preventing. Absolutely, just that healthy lifestyle. <laughs> we have Gladys on the call for you. Hi, Gladys. What is your question? Well, um, I'm 84 years old, and uh, when I was young, I had a lot of hair growth on my arms and legs and that disappears in later years but I still have facial hair and I still have a male uh, pattern baldness is there anything can be done for the male pattern baldness and the facial hair um how old were you again I missed that part 
84. 84. Okay. So uh, a lot of women, I was like, with the transition into menopause, their ovaries stop making a lot of these hormones, and you'll end up getting uh, like the ratio of your testosterone estrogen becomes off. When you gain weight, adipose tissue definitely plays a role in hormone production and secretion. Um, I wouldn't say that for you, like treating you with like an anti-testosterone medicine may be beneficial. A lot of thinning hair just kind of occurs with age too. And, and same with like just those scragglers. Um, the fact that your hair growth got better over the years, like that thick hair that you saw when you were younger, like on your arms and your legs, that got better most likely with the menopausal transition with the decreased production of those um, hormones. At this point, I would probably treat the um, hair growth like on, on the face with things like electrolysis, shaving, and waxing. That's probably gonna be the easiest way. What, what, was, that, what was the treatment for the hair, facial hair? I would say just with shaving, waxing, um, and depending on the color of the hair, sometimes laser is helpful, but it doesn't work so good on uh, gray hairs. So I was like, it's really gotta be pigmented. Well, so the hair is, is gray hair. Yeah, <laughs> so I was like, you're not going to have much luck with the laser that way. So what about the male pattern baldness? See, I was like, that I would probably recommend seeing a dermatologist for because it was like sometimes hair loss can be associated with like nutritional deficiencies and other like autoimmune um, conditions. So dermatologists could probably get you a better workup for the hair loss part of that. Okay. What uh, thyroid? disease can be related to male pattern baldness. What, what disease, Gladys? Thyroid. Thyroid disease. Yes, yes, thyroid, and I'm glad you brought that up too, because I was like, Polycystic ovarian syndrome is also a diagnosis of exclusion, so you have to rule out a bunch of other conditions that can cause very similar True. symptoms, but yeah. thyroid being one of them for sure. Would it be the high pro or high current? Usually hypo, but you could you could probably see evidence with both. And she could see her yes. medical doctor about that yes. too. Yes. Yeah. I was like, primary care doctor is a good place to start. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for calling, Gladys. So we talked about workup. What does a workup <coughs> for PCOS entail? Okay. So you definitely start with a history and physical because you can learn a lot just by talking to a patient. I'm really interested in knowing when you started having periods, how often you're having them, how long they last, how heavy they are. If you're having pain with your periods, a lot of people who <clears throat> don't have ovulatory cycles and just have a breakthrough bleed every once in a while do not have cramping with their periods. And that's oh. a good signal that, hey, you're not ovulating if your periods aren't oh, painful. If they're not painful. Yeah, huh. I was like, and it may be a good, you may have lucked out, but <laughs> sometimes that can be a clue. Um, also, we're looking at blood pressure. We're looking at your weight. Um, we are asking about signs of excess androgens, hair growth and acne and stuff like that, and looking at that on physical exam, examining the body for you know unusual areas of hair growth on women. Um, and then ultrasound to look at your ovaries. And then we do lab workout to, uh, lab workup to basically rule out other conditions that can cause menstrual irregularities and excess hair growth and stuff like that. So just mentioned thyroid as being one of them. There's also a hormone called prolactin that in high levels can basically 
um, interfere with estrogen production and basically cause you to not have any periods. So we rule out hyperprolactinemia. Um, there's a condition called congenital adrenal hyperplasia that um, leads to excess androgen. So we need to rule that out as well. Uh, I draw a total testosterone level because really, really high levels are abnormal. It's like if they're super, super high, we're gonna be looking for tumor um, secreting testosterone. But a moderately elevated total testosterone could be diagnostic for PCOS. Remember, it's one of the lab criteria. Um, the other things I do is draw a follicular stimulating hormone because that's usually high in menopause, so to rule out premature ovarian failure. An estrogen level, because estrogen levels are low in people with premature ovarian failure, so we draw those two. Luteinizing hormone, I was like, if you remember luteinizing hormone and follicular stimulating hormone are released from the pituitary. Um, they used to have luteinizing hormone to follicular stimulating hormone ratio of two or greater was diagnostic of PCOS. That diagnostic criteria is kind of fallen out of favor, but if I do see someone with the LH level more than double their FSH level, makes me more suspicious for PCOS as well. And then since PCOS is associated with like high cholesterol and diabetes and fatty liver, I'm checking liver enzymes and I'm screening for diabetes and screening for high cholesterol as well. So a lot of blood work yes. that you're looking for. Yes. Yeah, a lot of questions. And, and lifestyle. So yep. really just really always a suggestion to get in the best lifestyle that you can. Basically, could yes. solve a lot of things. Number with, one treatment. Yeah. I was like, a, you may be able to treat it on your own just with lifestyle modification. Yeah. So I wanna hit on the importance is why do I need to have a menstrual period every month? Great. Because That's a lot a of people are like, hey, I'm not thing. having periods, like good, yeah. who, who <laughs> wants one? Me. Yes, but why is it bad for you not to be having a period? Okay. So with the regular menstrual cycle. We're gonna wrap it up. Okay. The first half of, you're building up a thick lining in your uterus and that will put you at increased risk for endometrial cancer. Got it. Thank you so much for joining us at Healthline 3. Thank you, Dr. Button. You're this has so been welcome. great. We'll see you next time on Healthline 3.